Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. My name is Josh and we're back after uh, one heck of a weekend. Um, we had a really good run. We played Manchester United and we beat them three goals to two. And what a game that was. We've successfully beaten them twice in 104 days at the Amex consecutively. And uh, yeah, it was quite phenomenal. Um, a real Jekyll and Hyde first two weeks of our second season in the Premier League. But I mean, I'm delighted with it. I'm sure everybody listening is over the moon. We we showed up when we needed to. Um, we made the Amex our fortress and we're, we're back. And the points are on the board and we're rolling. So let's, let's dig straight into the uh, Manchester United review. We'll start with the good. We won the key tackles. Um, last week, I was mentioning the fact that we needed to really get into them a lot quicker than we got into Watford um, and a lot quicker than Leicester got into Manchester United last week. And we did that. Um, we won the key tackles 28 to 12. Um, so we successfully made 28 perfectly executed tackles um, on Manchester United. They only managed that 12 times against us. And I think that shows because they did a lot of keeping the ball around the back and we were able to really push them high and get that ball off of them quickly, uh, whereas the the other way around, it didn't really work out as well for them. Um, and just to add to that, they were dis- dispossessed uh, 16 times in that in that time frame. So they were they were successfully tackled 28 times, and they were dispossessed 16 times. Other than that, uh, compared to just our nine, so. They really, they really were having a big problem keeping the ball. Um, and you know, I mean, they outright gave away possession 38 times in the game yesterday. Um, that's a lot. And just for comparison's sake, we only gave that, we only gave the ball away 20 times. Um, so they've almost gave away the ball double as many times as us last year uh, on Sunday, which kind of blows my mind that they were so. I mean, we, we all saw it. They played around the back an awful lot, and yet they gave away the ball so often. Um, and I think it's a real testament to the fact that we, we push them high and we really cause them problems. Um, especially when compared to last week, they gave away the ball 31 times. So obviously that's that's a few less than the 38. But compare that to Leicester, uh, they gave away the ball 28 times. So it was a lot more uh, evenly keeled. Uh, in the Leicester and United game, and that's probably what helped them out. And to add to that, uh, I said last week that our best chance of stopping United and getting something out of this game was to stop them taking shots within the box. Uh, the stats showed from last week that they were really successful in getting into the penalty area against Leicester, and when they did, they caused them problems. They won the penalty from that. Um, they were a danger in there the whole time. And thankfully, we did exactly what I said we needed to do. Uh, We kept them outside of the box. They had eight shots this weekend, excluding the penalty, which obviously makes it nine. Um, But four of the eight were outside of the box. So just as I'd hoped, we kept kept them at bay. We we forced them them out of the penalty area and had them take pop shots, which, you know, is very rarely going to trouble Ryan. And when they did get them on target, Matt Ryan pulled off an absolutely world-class save against Paul Pogba's shot. So you know, we we had them we had them in the palm of our hands, honestly. <laughs> so let's move on to the bad, um, because there still is some, and it's always worth looking at the good and the bad together in in any kind of game. Uh, we need to always keep looking forward and how we can improve. And some of these things aren't exactly improvements, but they're worth looking at regardless. 
so the bad uh dunk going off very early that's two games out of two we've lost a uh, a really important defensive puzzle piece um within 15 to 20 minutes of the opening half and that really doesn't i mean anybody knows that disrupting a defense is really not what we need um what any team needs you really don't need to disrupt that defense hopefully it's just some serious bruising um because it looked like where he where he got stood or or hit on um it looked that that kind of soft spot between the shin and uh, the top of the foot and i mean that's a sore place to get trodden on at any given time let alone by a professional footballer at full pace so hopefully it's nothing serious and hopefully it's just bruised um and kind of just gave himself a dead leg but in a really weird spot um i mean we'll see um hopefully it's not too bad uh, i haven't read anything yet i'm recording this on monday and i haven't read anything that says just how bad it is um so we'll see back onto another part of the bad the ref um kevin friend was really poor i i remember kevin friend um quite some years ago giving uh, a penalty to bournemouth i believe to have them beat us 3-2 and it was a tommy elphick handball i'm sure of it now and feel free to tweet me if i'm wrong it was a Tommy Elphick handball that was never a handball. It wasn't his hand that hit it. Um, I believe it was, I'm even going to go so far as to say, I think it was Fletcher, Stephen Fletcher, maybe even, maybe not Stephen Fletcher. But anyway, um, I digress. We, it was, it was a handball that wasn't even his. And I always, I always remembered that name because I was, I was so annoyed at how poorly ref that game was. And yet here we are against one of the biggest teams in the entire world. And he's, he's there with us. He's followed us on our journey up and he's still been giving crap decisions. He, uh, he missed the kick out by Fred towards the end. I'm not sure how many people have seen it who are listening to this, who, who went to the game. But if you didn't see it, go back onto the highlights and watch it. Uh, it was on, uh, it was about 80-ish minutes on the clock, and Murray was shielding the ball, um, and it was just about to go out for a throw, or it already had even, and Fred just lashed through. Um, he actually nearly took Luke Shaw's leg off. He kicked it that hard and that high. It was it was absolutely bizarre, um, and he got away scot-free with it. Um, I did really enjoy him getting up. Um, and starting to front up Glenn until he realized that Glenn is about four inches taller than him, than him and he'd probably quite successfully one-bomb him in, uh, without breaking a sweat. So that was quite funny. But yeah, Fred Fred stood out to me as quite a poor player and quite dirty. Um, I'm not sure how well he'll do in the Premier League going forward, but, you know, he's not our problem, right? <laughs> I actually thought we might see a retrospective ban too, but no. Um, I mean, it's Manchester United, so it is what it is. And and I think Murray was let down again today by the ref. Um, the booking was a really, a really soft booking. And I saw the ref, like, say, you know, one, two, three, four times I've had to tell you to stop doing it. But, I mean, there's got to be a bit of 50-50, otherwise what's the point? Um, yeah, it was poor, but I don't think Murray deserved the yellow. I think he had a great game, and I think it marred what was an absolutely fantastic performance from him, a real polar opposite, just like most of the team. And the final part of the bad, um, I'm getting kind of bored about talking to it, and I'm only three episodes in, um, and I feel like it's not going to be the last time we talk about it either, but set pieces, as per usual, um, we conceded our first goal to a corner, and our second goal to a 
penalty. It's a bit harsh me calling that a set piece, but we we conceded the first one to a corner. And I know there's a couple of people who think it may be bad luck uh, that particular moment, but when you have given the ball, given away so many goals from set pieces, it becomes quite tough to say it was unlucky. Um, there's far too much of a pattern. And <laughs> there's not really a huge amount of coincidences when it comes to a point where we're conceding almost 50% of our goals from set pieces. So hopefully something we've got to turn a corner one day and i just hope it's sooner than later because it sucks so um last week i did the good the bad and the ugly and this week i'm doing the good the bad and the beautiful because this this really was an absolutely beautiful performance um so let's talk about glenn murray's goal uh what a pass from proper out to bong and I've had a lot of problems with him and his passing in the past, Bong, but he played a great ball through, um, and March just hit it instantly. First touch, beautiful passing, low and hard drilled pass, and Murray just, uh, like Ruud van Nisseroy in his heyday, just snuck through, and the touch he did was just exquisite. If he... If he was playing for a Barcelona or a Real Madrid or Ronaldo did that or Messi did that, you would be you'd be seeing it over here on ESPN all week when they don't care that much about football. You'd be seeing it on Sky Sports News all week um, and everybody would be waxing lyrical about it. But as it was poor old Glenn Murray, journeyman, 35-year-old uh, footballer, they don't get a huge amount of press compared. But what a goal that was. The absolute... Uh, surety with with the way he just played that ball in and just oh beautiful it was absolutely outstanding and the man who started that all was Davy Proper and the, he's going to be the main part of my uh, my beautiful segment um he was my man of the match yesterday and his stats really do um defy all logic compared to everybody else's um his pass accuracy was 83.9 percent um so to compare him to his next best uh that was montoya debutant montoya i thought he did really well at right back um his pass accuracy was 77.3 percent and he was followed by knockout at 75 percent everybody under that was in the 60s um so david proper was you know cranking these out that his pass accuracy was like roughly 20% better than almost everybody else on the team. Um, he had the third most amount of touches too. So it wasn't just that he had a couple of passes and played them all really well. He had more touches than almost anybody else. Um, so to be able to keep that pass accuracy up, he's really doing exactly what I what I raved about Bissouma doing in the preseason and the way he can keep the ball and look forward. It's like proper had took a look at Bissouma in in training and thought yeah I can do that and he did <laughs> and he thought he'd do it against uh, Jose Mourinho and Paul Pogba and it was it was great so not only did he have a third amongst amount of touches by far and away the better pass accuracy than anybody else but he did his job defensively too um he made more successful tackles than anybody else with seven successful tackles the next best was dale stevens at four and to me for a lot of that game i thought dale stevens was playing a blinder and he was playing that fantastic role of keeping pogba out of the game um which we'll move on to shortly but you know it just you don't realize just how much some people matter to the get to the system when you see someone like proper is actually making seven successful tackles and dale's only making four um he ran the show from minute one he was excellent and he he was just unbelievable and i yeah 
huge fan of his anyway. Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of everybody who puts on a blue and white striped shirt. But yeah, I, pff, what a what a what a performance! I cannot rave enough about that performance we saw from Proper. So moving on to the final part of the Manchester United review, and that's the why we won segment. Uh, if you go onto my Twitter feed at TogetherBAJ, um, I put up a average position chart, um, and you can actually compare it to last week's at Watford and see for yourself the level of difference. Um, the reason we won, I think, quite simply comes down to the fact that we committed to a high press from the word go, and we uh, committed to carrying it on even after we scored and got a two-goal lead. Um, it's really important that we don't just sit off. Um, we do it we we've done it since the championship and it's been a problem of ours under Hutton for day one uh, since day one is when you when we go two goals up or it gets towards the end of the game he makes a defensive substitution and everybody falls back 10 yards if not more um and it it's frustrating because you know that we've got him by the scruff of the neck and we don't push forward but this time we did um we pushed high we continue to push high no matter what and you can see from the average positions chart and um, just how compact the, that that entire 11 are and we were really based around the middle of the park the whole way through so it really just to me it shows just how how high we did press um and how many how we did it together as an entire team and the second part of that why we won is going back to exactly what I said last week, and that's we shut down Paul Pogba. Um, we needed to. We needed to shut down Pogba because he ran the show against Leicester and he just he just tore them apart. He showed shades of why he won a World Cup, and this time it's kind of... <laughs> he showed shades of why he should never be in a World Cup squad, which is kind of crazy, but he was really poor. Um, he played 15 misplaced passes. That's more than anybody else on the park. He was dispossessed six times, more than anybody else in the park, um, and he committed six fouls, which was more than anybody else on the park. And for anybody who watched it, you, it, it really speaks for itself. He, he lost his head before halftime, I think, and it never got any better. Um, the second 45 minutes were an absolute car crash for him. He was taking pot shots, he was fouling, he was throwing his hands in the air. Do you know what? He looked like knockout when things aren't going his way. But instead of making that effort to run back and do something uh, that Knockout usually does in the, in the end, Pogba didn't show any of it. He flat out gave up. And when you do something like that, pff, I think Dale Stevens is a big person to look at for that. He did a huge job on him. Uh, again, the second time in, in 104 days, Dale Stevens has had Paul Pogba in his back pocket. And it shows because we bashed him both times. And I think the... The other reason um, that we won is that Solly March and Anthony Knockart were more involved. Um, what a difference a week makes, right? We were we were talking last week about how isolated Solly March was, how many times Knockart gave away the ball, and yet this time he was he his pass accuracy was insane. He kept the ball a lot, and Solly March was integral to most of the defending and attacking we did down the left. So you know what a difference a week makes. Um, I don't think it's fair anymore to say it's a Solly thing. Um, I was harsh on Solly March last week, and I'll be the first to admit that. Um, I think it's I think it's gone beyond that i think we need to go for bigger picture um i don't think it's a solid thing i think it's we need to accept that there is a fundamental fundamental problem with our away mentality and performances and um, we'll get onto that in the liverpool preview but 
I think we need to accept that something isn't quite right, whether it's psychologically or on the field. I don't know what it is or whether it's both. I think it's probably a mixture. Um, but something isn't right when we play away from home and we need to get it out of our system and get it out quick because we are just so, like we can't continue to jackal and hide so badly because eventually it's going to catch us up and we'll go down maybe it won't be this this year don't get me wrong i'm not like i'm not sort of writing us off as going down this year if we keep playing crap away but it's going to get us and catch us up eventually if we don't start playing better away from home and i think it starts from this the brand like you know the psychological side i think the mentality has to change and i think that slowly but surely we'll get there um and i'm hoping that with the signings we've made that's that's kind of the route we're gonna go we're gonna look to change it up so that's the end of segment one um we'll move on to the middle segment and this is where i look at all kinds of things brighton and Albion um that aren't directly to do with both games and i had a lad on twitter reach out to me asking why i hadn't looked deeper at percy tau or tau tau i'm gonna guess at tau so i'm sorry if it's wrong um but i'm gonna guess at percy tau he they wanted to know why i hadn't looked at him considering he's you know he's quite some player over in south africa and i was honest he's he's not going to play for us for a while so i hadn't even thought about it yet but i'm going to do it today because i have some cool ideas for the middle segment going forward um so i didn't want to forget about him um and, and miss him out so i'm going to do that now so let's take a look at percy um, I hadn't really, I hadn't heard of him at all. I don't know if you had, but prior to us being linked with him, I had not heard of him at all, and I'm a big football manager player. So <laughs> it was weird for me to see this uh, South African wonder kid and never even heard his name, but he he really is some player. Um, he directly contributed to 40 goals in 65 uh, ABSA Premiership games, so South African top-flight games. And that's kind of ridiculous, Uh he had 18 goals and 22 assists. Um, he finished the 2017-18 season as the ABSA Premiership's joint top scorer um, alongside a lad named Rodney, Ram- Rodney Ramagalela, which just makes my heart happy that I was able to say it because I think that's just an absolutely incredible name. Um, he's currently averaging a goal every 296 minutes in the league and every 341 minutes in competitions and when you think about the fact that he's young and he's not even a striker um, that says a lot about his uh, willingness to get forward and we know that this is only just the south african premier league but you know he's also played in the south african uh, the african champions league and the african super cup um, and he's playing for south africa too so he he seems to be able to do it across bigger platforms than just his home nation on top of that uh the young lad he he's already won almost everything there is to win in south africa which is probably why he picked up and left honestly um he won the he won the premier league he won the telcom knockout and the ned bank cups i'm going to assume they're basically kind of like their fa cups and the carab carabao cup now i guess it is i was going to say the capital one cup but I think that's dead. Um, Yeah, the Carabao Cup. So he's won them, he's done it all, and not only that, but he's also won the the African Champions League and the African Super Cup. So, you know, other than trying to conquer South Africa as a nation, like, he's done all right, and I think it was right for him to leave. And for us to be able to pick him up on the cheap so well, uh, a couple of million, I believe, all it was, um, I think we've made a great signing. The only reason that, I'm kind of hesitant about it is what's happened since. So 
it was definitely a natural progression for him to leave and it was a natural progression for him to come abroad um but he's he's moved to us and we, we can't get him a work permit as we all know um it's not the easiest country to get a work permit in but we i i mean i assume given given the pedigree of the lad that somebody in the top seven leagues in europe would be interested in him and for those who aren't totally up on the work permit processes um he needs to play in one of those leagues um for at least a year to be considered to be able to come over here and he's actually gone to tony bloom's other club um usg in the second division of belgium now i don't mind that but he's he's because he's only 24 right he's young but i worry that he's maybe even gone backwards in terms of the quality he's going to be playing against and he's not any closer to getting a work permit playing for them because he's not going to be playing in one of the top seven leagues. So I'm kind of bummed out about it because I wanted to see him come over sooner than later, but it looks like we're looking um, at a minimum of two years before he shows up in uh, in a blue and white striped shirt. But it is what it is. Hopefully he can he can fire them to promotion and maybe play in the top flight for, in the Belgium league next year. Or maybe he can play an absolute blinder, then not miss it, then miss out on promotion, and somebody else in the top seven leagues get their eye caught by him, and then do us a favor and keep him for a year. I don't know what will happen, but it's it's an interesting time. So we'll, we'll see. Um, keep our eye out for young Percy because he certainly looks a talent. Um, and if you ever needed an excuse to follow USG since Tony Bloom bought them, he should be another reason. So yeah. Going on to our next one, um, I'm going to take a real brief look at David Button. I've been doing some research on him as best I can over the last couple of days, but I cannot really find a lot about him in terms of his ability. I really struggled to find stuff on David, um, but I figured that given just how close he was to popping on a, uh, a goalkeeping shirt this weekend after Matt Ryan went down, I figured it's best to look at him. Um, so he's a Spurs Academy graduate. He spent his uh, whole, whole of his early life... Um, while at Spurs bumbling around on loan. Um, he went from Grace Athletic to Doncaster Rovers and everywhere in between. He spent four years walking the lone wasteland, um, kind of like our young goalkeeper now, Walton. Um, yeah, he moved around a lot with a lot of different clubs uh, before finally getting a permanent move to Charlton. He made a couple of appearances and then immediately went to Brentford in 2013. Um, made an absolute crap ton of appearances for Brentford and that is when I saw him play um, I've seen him play a couple of times and I thought he looked a really good talent um, but you know he was 29 by this point and we've got my favourite goalkeeper of all time in goal right now so I didn't really see any I didn't even think about him but he he played um, 20 times last season for Fulham and conceded an average of 1.3 goals a game and to me, for a team that went up last year, that's kind of concerning. Um, not great. And he also seems very weak. Um, the things I did find out about him probably... <laughs> they didn't make the best reading, let's just say that. Um, he conceded a lot of goals for Fulham, and he also seems very poor long with his long distribution. Um, Matt Ryan completed 9.6 long passes on average a game last season. Um, we all know that Ryan's distribution is absolutely fantastic, so there's no debate on just how good he is kicking, like getting the ball out, uh, both short and long. But David Button only managed 3.9, and that's really like that's concerning to me 
Um, I think that's going to be something that I'm sure that Ben Roberts and the rest of the crew will be working on, and they they do some amazing things, and he really is an absolutely top-class goalkeeping coach, so I don't doubt he can coach these people to be better. Um, but as of right now, I'm definitely not. I'm massively underwhelmed by the lad that's on the bench, and I'd probably feel more comfortable having uh, Mempa or krull sat there but it is what it is um hopefully we never need him but if we do or when it comes to january and matt ryan goes off um for his jaunt with australia i hope that he does what he needs to do to keep us in the game um we'll see but with the brief look i got it didn't look great (laughs) so we'll see um that's the end of the middle segment uh we went just had a brief look at percy and we had a very brief look at david button next week i'm gonna go um and do an in-depth look at chris hewton and the history of chris hewton some of you know a whole crap ton about chris and some of you won't um so this is something that i just think would be really 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 interesting to delve deep into chris's biography of life so to speak so that's where i'm going next week on the middle segment unless something crazy happens in the next week so let's move on to segment three and that is the liverpool preview so last week i did this did this in three parts Uh, i did it in a how we'll win how we'll lose and a predicted 11 and that's how i'll keep it going for this week um how we'll win i'm not sure if we can if i'm being absolutely realist um they were beaten at home last year however if we are going to commit a massive upset, it will be very simply done. We need to make the most of possession and make the most of our chances, just like against United. Our possession was in the 30s, and just like Mourinho said and recognised, every single time there was a half chance that we had this week, we scored. And we need to do that again. We'll see if that's possible. Like I said, I'm not sure it's going to be done, but that's going to be step one. Step two is isolating the front three from each other. I thought we did that incredibly well last year to an extent um we i did not see another team successfully isolate salah as well as bong did last year to me it was almost like salah wasn't on the pitch bong did that good of a job on keeping him anonymous unfortunately for us at the time they had Firmino and Coutinho um, and Coutinho let us know that they don't need Salah to win games and he single-handedly ripped us apart in that game at the Alex Um, so really we need to work on isolating the front three from each other in their entirety Um, we need to keep them away from each other as best as we can they need to be segmented out this will be like a Dale Stevens and the back fours job um and we need to work a way to keep them from playing those intricate balls they play and keep them as isolated from each other as they can. I'm not the manager, thank God. So I don't I, mean, I don't know how they're going to do it and good luck to them. <laughs> but I think they're going to be the keys to victory. Isolate the front three, make the most of the possession we have and take our chances. We cannot mess our chances up because it's the only way we're going to win. How we'll lose um, is pretty straightforward, honestly. It's allowing Cater to run the show what a player he looks if anybody's watched any of the liverpool uh games that are played so far i watched both um last week and this week and he stood out to me as the biggest difference for liverpool this year um i didn't see them a huge amount last year honestly but i saw a lot of their goals on like highlights and that but he looks like a totally different dimension and one that they desperately needed for the longest time um he is now running games all the way through 
slightly in a slightly deeper role than Gross or De Bruyne or Pogba or Ozil or, or you know these these front these uh, this number ten kind of midfielder. He's not playing that role. He's playing a slightly deeper one, but his use of the ball and the way he passes that ball around and gets the gets the flow going he just plays people into play that you don't even realize are there so we need to try and find a way to shut him down too so we've gone to we've gone from isolating the front three to also keeping care out of the game so yeah maybe a six-man job um i'm not sure how we're gonna do it but ish it's gonna be a tough one and also the the biggest thing that we'll lose if we allow the front three to link up on the edge of our box the way they play once they get there is too dangerous. We'll give away penalties. We'll let them score. 50% of the shots taken by Liverpool against West Ham. I haven't got the stats for Palace yet. But 50% of the shots taken by Liverpool against West Ham were taken by the front three. Um, and all of them were inside the penalty area or even further inside the six-yard box. That, I mean, that says it all to me. It looks like, I mean, just from the like a basic eye test, it looks like Mane really enjoys a shot from distance, and yet the stats tell a different story. All of his shots from distance look so far ahead because Salah and Firmino prefer to take shots from really close range, whereas he doesn't mind taking a shot towards the edge of the penalty area. So keeping them away from that close quarters, intricate little football that they do um, is going to be... If we if we allow them to do that and allow Cater to run the show, we're 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 dead. We're dead in the water. Um, and the biggest thing is the most obvious thing: um, don't act afraid and don't wait to lose. West Ham did it, and Palace, to their credit, actually didn't do that. Um, they really went for it and tried to get something from the game. But West Ham set up, and it looked like they were set out to just keep the score down. And we can't do that because they don't care. They'll score as many as they want. Um, so fingers crossed, we can we can take something from them. And honestly, if we take if we can take a point next weekend, I would be over the moon. I think that it would be one of the best results that anybody could ask for. I think it's probably a better result than away from home than anything other than going to City and getting a result. I think they're quite comfortably the second best team in the league right now and if we can get something from them away from home this early on happy days we'll see so moving on to our predicted 11 and the last part of this last part of the pod i think honestly i think hewton will probably go with the exact same crew that played against united um he's a very conservative manager we know this and um, but he's also incredibly loyal to his performing players and i have no problem with that i give him all the credit in the world for letting those performing players lose their place on merit than you know just changing it for the sake of changing um so yeah i think we'll see ryan montoya duffy um it's just this is the only question mark we have and it's whether balogun or dunk will start um we'll find out later in the week i'm sure it'll be very obvious in classic Brighton fashion with their injury news um, as to whether, whether Balogun and Dunk will, or Dunk will play. But whoever it is out of those two, Balogun looked phenomenal on Sunday, so I'm not really worried about either. So I think we'll have Ryan Montoya, Duffy, Dunk or Balogun, Bong. Um, and I, I really do think he's going to do a job on Salah again. Um, so any of those people who have him in your fantasy football team, captain him at your own risk. Um, I think Bong's going to do a job on him. I think we'll have knockout. Stevens, proper March, Gross, and Murray. Um, I think it'll be an unchanged 11. And 
I think that this might be a game where we see a slightly longer cameo from AJ and Bisuma um, because I expect to be behind by the hour mark. And if we are, I expect them to come on and I think it could be quite exciting to see what they do. Um, I say this as AJ actually played tonight for the under 23s against Arsenal. And from what I can gather from the people who were there, um, I have a, I have a friend who went and he said they were by far, he was by far and away the best player on the pitch. Um, so I can't wait to see him really spread his wings in the premier league. I think he's going to be an absolute phenomenon. Um, but thank you for listening. Um, follow me on Twitter at together and feel free to tweet me if you want to see anything on here or hear anything on here rather. Um, and I will do my best to get that on here. Um, and if you have any other suggestions on how I can make this better for listen for you guys or any suggestions on new segments or to get rid of anything, let me know. Um, I'm always willing to learn. It's only episode three. So as of right now, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But hit me up if you need anything from me. Thank you and see you next week. <laughs>